Good morning, Battleground. Oh, see, I'm going to need y'all to talk back to me a little bit this morning. I said, good morning, Battleground. It is my pleasure to be with you all again this morning. We will be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you would, stand with me as we read the word of God. Paul begins, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mystery and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all I have, And deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love. I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecy, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Let us pray. Father, you know that I am not adequate. I am not capable in my own strength to bring your word to your people. But God, you have predestined this moment in time that you may be exalted amongst us here in this place. So I pray that you would do the work. God, would you exalt your word? Would you teach our hearts? Would you compel us to love one another and to love you? You are God. You are good. And you are faithful. We pray all this in your perfect name. Jesus, amen. You may be seated. The main idea of the text today is that the love of God is the substance, the source, and the sovereign purpose of all that is done in the body of Christ for all eternity. Each week on Wednesday mornings, Pastor Jeff, Pastor Stephen and a couple of other pastors in the Parkwood Network get together to discuss the text that will be preached on Sunday. We discuss structure. We discuss main ideas. We discuss possible pitfalls of the passage. And this particular week, we were given a mandate. And the mandate was this. Do not 
sentimentalize love. Do not quote popular love songs to capture the attention of the audience. Do not use the poem you wrote for your wife on Valentine's Day. Just simply preach the text in context of the letter. The fact of the matter is, this is not a memorial to love. Paul is not crafting biblical marriage vows. And this is not about sunshine on a cloudy day. This text is about the church and to the church. How do we know that? Well, we take our cue from the end of chapter 12. The entirety of the chapter is about how the body functions as one. And he concludes with this statement. I will show you still a more excellent way. The more excellent way that Paul speaks of, we see here in chapter 13. In chapter 13, 13, however, Paul never leaves congregational living. He never leaves the building up of the body. And he never leaves the work of the Spirit. What we must understand is that everything that Paul has said in this letter to the Corinthians thus far has been an appeal for love on each topic in relation to Food idols, love. In relation to the Lord's Supper, love. In relation to spiritual gifts, love. And he, and he concludes the epistle with the same premise. In chapter 14, he says, pursue love. And in the final chapter, he admonishes the Corinthians this way. Let all that you do be done in love. Love is the predominant way that we are called to interact with one another. It is the lifeblood of the body. And this life-giving love, pumped throughout the body from the heart of God, has three distinct purposes. It functions as the substance, as the source, and as the sovereign purpose of all that is done in the body of Christ. So we begin with the substance. My first point is that God's love is the substance of all that is done in the body of Christ. We pick back up verse 1. Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mystery and all knowledge, And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So how does this land on you? The Corinthians, like us, believed that they had arrived spiritually. They thought that they had arrived because they could speak to God at this hyper-spiritual level. And they believed that they could hear from him in a way that made them feel elite. They thought that they could do for God and bring honor to themselves. And in reality, all that they had done was taking something that was meant for the body and made it about the individual. And Paul says to them, 
you're noisy. You've, you're nothing, and, and you have accomplished nothing. And brothers and sisters, I believe that Paul has a message here for us as well. He starts, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So, let us just start out by addressing the elephant in the room. We're Baptist, right? Many of us have never spoken in tongues, but could we just pretend for a moment that when we prayed, we sought to be impressive? Like when we prayed in a group of people, we spent most of our time thinking about what we were going to say, thinking about ways that we could sound profound and spiritual rather than bearing the burdens of our brothers and sisters, rather than actually praying. Here's Paul's challenge to the Corinthians and to us. Does love motivate your communication with God? The Corinthians were proud that they knew how to speak in the language of God, but their communication was missing something essential. It was missing love. Therefore, Paul says that they were just making noise. So I've got to ask us, Brothers and sisters, when we pray, are we, are we just making noise? When we pray, are we overjoyed or obligated? Are we seeking the heart of God or his hand? When we seek to speak to God or about him, is it love or is it less than? I often hear people say, man, God never answers any of my prayers and when I come upon a text like this, I want to ask them the question, maybe, maybe God's not hearing you. Maybe your lack of love has reduced you to a noisy gong. This is tough, but listen to what Paul is saying to the Corinthians, that their speech, that their speaking in tongues was nothing but a mere echo, a reverberation, an empty sound coming from a hollow and lifeless vessel. I can only imagine how their jaws dropped when they read this portion of the text. Not, not us. We're, we're spiritual. We speak in tongues. But Paul makes it clear. Without love, we're just making noise. And he continues. As if that was not Heavy enough, he says, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mystery and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing? How? How can that person be nothing? If I Joseph Anderson, understand all mysteries and have all knowledge and have all faith so as to remove mountains. I am the single greatest prophet ever to live. But Paul says, no, brothers and sisters of Corinth and brothers and sisters of battleground, without love, you're nothing. Do you see what Paul is doing here? He, the one who the mystery has been revealed to. 
He, the prophet, creates this hypothetical superior version of himself. And he's proving a point. He did not have all understanding of all mystery. He knew that he did not have all knowledge. He knew that he did not have all faith. But he says this sentence and he creates this this, um, circumstance to where even if he did, even if he did, if he did not have love, he remains nothing. And if this was true of Paul, it was certainly true of the Corinthians. And it is certainly true of us. So let us hear the force of Paul's argument. It lies in the contrast. He uses repetition. He says, all, 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 and concludes with the single nothing. If we're honest, this one may hit a little closer to home than his previous point. He is making the assertion that no matter how much we understand, no matter how much we know, no matter how much we believe, without love to God, we are nothing. Don't miss this, brothers and sisters. Paul is certainly concerned for the Corinthians' salvation. Indeed, in chapter 1, he insists that God chose the things that are not in order to bring to nothing the things that are. The message of 1 Corinthians 13 is intrinsically salvific. Those who are brought to nothing in the economy of God are destined for God's wrath. And without love, Paul is making the claim, you're still nothing. Brothers and sisters, I believe we need to hear this. If I acquire knowledge about God, and believe the knowledge that I acquire, that does not equate to saving faith. There is a type of intellectual belief that does not save. Why why do I say this? Turn with me to John chapter 2, verse 24. It says this, Now, while he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs that he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. So do you see this? They saw the signs and believed. But because they did not believe in a way that stirred their affections, because they did not believe in a way that caused their surrender, because they did not believe in a way that realized their need for a Savior, Jesus did not entrust himself to them. Our knowledge and belief of God is meant to lead us to love God and love others. We see the example of Judas, who believed in Christ enough to cast out demons and heal, but his belief did not lead him to love Jesus. 
And we see that in the end, it was not saving belief. Brothers and sisters, we miss the point when we say that Jesus, that we believe that Jesus died for our sins, but do not love him for it. The ability to prophesy, all understanding of mysteries, all knowledge, all faith, no love, nothing. And finally, he says this, if I give away all I have, and if I, am deliver- and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So can we just be honest? Paul started off talking to the Corinthians. He has squarely shifted his gaze to us. We must ask ourselves the question, why do we do the things we do? As Paul concludes his first point, he asks us to consider two actions that seem to be the very definition of love. And by doing so, he communicates the thing that we really don't want to hear. Love cannot be restricted to our actions, but it also has to do with our motives and our intentions. One could imagine someone speaking in tongues or prophesying or exercising faith in order to use other motivations, but to give away your belongings, to give up your life, surely, surely this has eternal reward. But Paul says that Brothers and sisters, without love, you have gained nothing. So when I serve so that others will notice me, or when I give for gratitude, or provide for praise, or exist for acceptance, when I commit for commendation or donate for the delight of men, no matter what I give or what I sacrifice, if it is not motivated by love, Paul says that we gain nothing. So brothers and sisters, I fear that a vast majority of our Christian activity is wasted time. Our activity devoid of love means nothing to God. And we we know this intellectually, but it is my prayer that today God remove that knowledge from our head to our hearts that we may understand that the main evidence of maturity in the Christian church is a growing love for God, for his people, and for the lost. Without the love of God, a body is lifeless, unable to fulfill the mandate given by Christ to his church. Love must be the substance of all we do. Hear Paul's pronouncement of a church who operates without the love of God. He says, you're noisy, you're nothing, and you gain nothing. Don't miss this, brothers and sisters. The Corinthians were not devoid of Christ-like activity. They were devoid of substance. In order for us, the body to function the way that God has designed, love must be the substance of all that we do. It must also be the source. 
So we continue. God's love is the source of all that is done in the body of Christ. He continues, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Even with all that we have said about context, and with all that we will say about context, we must acknowledge that there is an intrinsic beauty to this passage. There is a poetic nature that invites us to snap our fingers and invites our hearts to flutter. I, too, proclaimed my love to my wife using this verse. And we should, as men and women, love our spouses in this way. But let me just reemphasize what Paul is doing here. Paul is unapologetically correcting a church who is walking in worldliness, walking in division, and walking in sin. Paul's intention here is, to create, is not to create some big theological construct of love, nor is it even to clarify the vague overuse of the modern term. He is seeking to push down into the local church the reality that the primary visible evidence of maturity, of spirituality, is love. And as we have already discussed, This has been the point throughout the entire epistle. The Corinthians were impatient and unkind. They were filled with jealousy and vain glories. They were puffed up. They insisted on their own way. They were quarrelsome and resentful. And they rejoiced in wrong rather than right. And all that Paul had written in 1 Corinthians had led him to this point, that you, brothers and sisters, must love. We must love. And we touched on this, but let us just take a deep dive into the book to see how Paul is specifically and intentionally addressing these issues in chapter 13. So in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 3, he says, For while there is jealousy and strife among you, Are you not of the flesh behaving only in a human way? In chapter 6, verse 7, he says, Instead of taking one another to court, why not rather suffer wrong? Instead, the Corinthians were counting the wrongs of their brothers and sisters. He confronts the puffed up and arrogant Corinthians in chapter 8, who thought that their knowledge had separated them, that their knowledge somehow made them more spiritual than others. In chapter 9, he pleads with them to follow his example as he bears all things for the sake of the gospel. In chapter 10, he contrasts himself with the self-seeking Corinthians. In verse 24, he begs them, let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor. And in in verse 33, he says, I do not seek my own advantage. In chapter 11, Paul is forced to deal with how the rich are humiliating the poor. 
We see all throughout the book of 1 Corinthians that the Corinthians were rejoicing in evil as they divided the church, bragged on their status, ate food offered to idols in idol temples, ignored their poor and brothers and sisters at the Lord's table. The Corinthians' competitive, status-seeking culture had encouraged them to take pleasure at loss of esteem suffered by another. And to those who thought that by these actions they were gaining status with God, Paul says, look again. As he concludes his argument in chapter 12, he says, let me show you a more excellent way. It's it's Christ-likeness. It's patience. It's kindness. It's love. Unfortunately, the envy and status-seeking competitive culture that existed in the Corinthian church still exists. How much of our behavior is at its core attention-seeking? How much of what we do is an attempt to impress others? And brothers and sisters, I use the word we with a capital W because it's, it's my issue. How much of what we do is devoid of love? I think if we look in the mirror, we'll find that we're often seeking our highest good. And you know what, brothers and sisters? It is harming the body. When we obsess over questions like, am I being fed here? Will I enjoy worship? Will they consider my needs? We harm the body. Love is not concerned primarily with self. It is not enamored with self-gain or self-justification. Love pushes self to the background for the sake of others and for the sake of the body. As I studied the text this week, I deeply felt my inadequacy. To the detriment of the body, I tally wrongs, become resentful, and demand my own way. And in my conviction, I began to pray, a prayer that I often pray, God, help me to be more patient, help me to be kind, help me not to envy. And as I prayed, I I believe God said, man, you're missing it. You're missing it. Your prayers are for improved behavior. And and I think it's easy for us to walk away from a sermon like this and ask the question, okay, well, how can I improve? But when I looked at my heart as I prayed those prayers, I only wanted to be patient because I, I think it helps my presentation. And I only wanted to be kind because I wanted y'all to think that I'm godly. And many times my actions are devoid of love for the body. And it's hard. It's hard when God confronts us with our sin. With the reality that I really struggle to love God. And I am prone not to love his people. That is the good news of the gospel. That for the sake of the body, God has done the work in 
us. This is the dominant thrust of the New Testament, that God has loved us so patiently, so perfectly, so lavishly, that all who see are compelled to respond and overflow with love. One commentator says it this way. It is God's love for us which serves as a model and foundation for the love we have for him and each other. And may I also add that it is God's love that serves as the source of love for the body. Oh, how lavish is the love of God that enables us to love him and one another. Me and Michael, we're definitely on the same page because Romans 5.5 says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So brothers and sisters, see this. The love of God has been poured into us. It is the love of the Father who patiently and kindly and gently deals with us. Nehemiah describes his experience with the Father in this way. He says, but you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Joel in Joel 2.13 beckons Israel, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Yes, God's love has been poured into our hearts. He has poured out the love of the Son, who was not envious or boastful or arrogant, who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of the servant. Yes, we have the love of a Son, who was not rude and did not demand his own way, but instead prayed, not my will be done, but yours be done, my Father. Yes, we have the love of the Son who was not irritable, but suffered the little children. And it was he who insisted on not keeping wrongs as he was nailed to the cross and he prayed, Father, please forgive them for they know not what they do. Yes, we have the love of the Son, the one who supremely hates injustice and is truth himself. Yes, the love of God has been poured out into our hearts. And brothers and sisters, there is more good news. For the one who pours the love sustains and holds us in that love. Not only do we have the love of the Father and the Son, but we have the love of the Spirit. It is by his love that we bear all things, including the cross and Christ's suffering. That we believe all things, especially the glories of the gospel. That we hope all things, knowing that the best is yet to come. And that we endure all things, that we may receive what has been promised. Do you believe that the love of God has been poured out into our hearts, brothers and sisters? This is good news. That we have the love of the Father, Son, and Spirit that we may love as they love, that we may love God and the body. The source of all we do 
to build the body is the love of God. So are we resting in that? Are we allowing God to change and sanctify us that we would love, that we would love him and others? Not just now, not just now, but for all eternity. Because God's love is the sovereign purpose of all that is done in the body forever, for all eternity. Paul continues in verse 8. He says that love never ends. As for prophecy, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. But we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So hear this, brothers and sisters. Love never ends. Prophecy, it'll pass away. Tongues, they will cease. Knowledge will pass away, but love. Paul is drawing a contrast here between what is partial and imperfect with what is complete and perfect altogether. He has made the point that gifts without love is nothing, and yet we see that love does not need gifts. But now he takes it a step further to say, that love will never fail, and gifts will. Love is eternal, and the gifts are temporary. I am sure that this came as a shock to the Corinthians. It is not far-fetched to assume that they thought that their knowledge was complete. They would have certainly considered themselves mature. And Paul says that that knowledge that speech, that prophecy, it's temporary and it's imperfect. So let me press in on us. In the context of the body, what are some things that we are treating as eternal that are actually temporary? And get this, to the detriment of the body. Is it our order of service? Is it our song selection? Is it our doctrine? Are these things that define the body? Or is it love? Ponder on what Paul is saying here. He's saying that our knowledge is not only temporary, it is partial, it is incomplete, it is imperfect. Here's the point. The church must be presently laboring for things that will last into God's future. On the last day, every grace gift will cease. All knowledge will cease. Everything that is partial will cease to exist forever. 
their function as a signpost pointing to God will no longer be needed for we will be home with the Father. In chapter 10, verse 12, Paul warned that some who think they will stand before God will in fact fall. But his point here is that love does not fall, nor will it fail on that day. And brothers and sisters, because we long for that day, we must love. Because love is the revelation of God's kingdom breaking into our everyday lives. And this we know, that one day the sky will crack and our God will return to us and all that is imperfect and partial will fade away. Paul said, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Brothers and sisters, the day of adulthood is coming. The perfect, the consummation of all things is on its way. We will no longer see dimly in a mirror, but oh, we will see God face to face. We must long for that day when we shall no longer know in part. For I consider that the present suffering of this time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. For creation waits with eager longing for the revelation of the sons of God. And on that day, we shall no longer know in part, but we shall know fully. We shall know God fully, even as we are fully known. So this is what we must do. We must seek God that we may see God and know God or we will love God when that is the case. So here's my so what. Are we, as the body, pursuing the most excellent way of love? As Paul concludes his appeal, he says, so now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. So how does this function to compel the pursuit of love for the Corinthians? How does this function to compel our pursuit of love? It feels like he is like coming out of left field with this. Right? Like out of nowhere, he says, faith and hope will exist forever. So what is Paul doing here? Well, we have already seen that in verse 7, faith and hope are bound up in love as we believe all things and hope all things. I would also assert the point that belief and hope are the point of love. But what we're really trying to get at is how does this motivate our love? How is Paul seeking to compel us to love God and love one another? One commentator clarifies it this way. He says, well, God is faithful. That is, one in whom faith properly rests. And he says, similarly, God is our hope. That is, one in whom hope properly resides. It is because faith 
and hope are rooted in the truth about God, that faith and hope express a permanent truth about man. And there is an ultimate truth about God that transforms us into beings of faith and creatures of hope. The Apostle John says it so elegantly in three simple words. God is love. We are identified by our faith and hope because the greatest of these identifies God. For God is love. So let us hear Paul's argument. From now into eternity, we should not seek spiritual gifts or partial wisdoms as primary. What should be primary is our faith and our hope that leads us to love God. Love is the essential characteristic of God. And when we, as brothers and sisters, seek to love God and one another, however imperfectly, we are doing what God does. Brothers and sisters, for the sake of the body, we must seek God. We must believe in God. We must hope in God so that we may love God forever and ever as a people. The God of the universe has poured his love out into our hearts, brothers and sisters. May we live as if that were true. Let us pray to that end. Father, you are good. You are faithful. You love us, and you have poured your love out into us. I pray for these people, for this body. God, would you transform us? Would you help us to love that the world may know that you are God? Would you exalt yourself among us, oh God? We love you, and we long for the day where we will be with you forever. Until then, God, we will be faithful to love one another and love you. Pray all this in your perfect name, Jesus.